This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm an 80s kid, so um, in the 80s, they made these movies. Uh, I don't remember all their titles, like Thief in the Night or something like that, but they were, I don't know really what the point was besides to scare the crud out of you into the kingdom of God, you know, it's like one of those kinds of movies. And um, it was very effective on my eight-year-old self. <laughs> but I actually, it's one of those moments where you look back and one of the sweetest things to look back on is just to realize how active the Holy Spirit was in my life. And I, I didn't know that as an eight-year-old kid, but looking back, I had this moment where and this also is telling of my upbringing. Like my parents were already in bed and I was out and about the town. There was a, a, our church was right across the street and we had a youth group and they were doing a showing of the movie. And I was, I snuck in because my brother was older and he snuck in. And so um, I shouldn't have been there at all. But I remember seeing that movie, being terrified for my life and running home and jumping in my parents' bedroom I'm jumping into their bed, and, um, and I basically blurted out, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> and, um, and they were, honestly, I, I felt the Lord was all over that moment, because they didn't lead me in the prayer right there, and they said, hey, if you want to give your life to Jesus, then you can go forward next Sunday uh, when there's an altar call. And man, when they told me that I could be saved, I'll never forget the feeling. It was like my whole chest leapt like it was like, oh, I can be saved. And uh, it was just a really powerful moment. And, you know, scripture has this verse that says, the spirit of God testifies with our spirit. And it's a crazy verse when you think about the spirit of God testifying with your spirit. But if there was ever a moment where I felt the spirit of God testifying with my spirit, it was in that moment. And um, anyway, grateful, grateful to be here. I love what the Lord is doing here. Um, it's amazing to me when you just make much of Jesus, guys, when you talk about him a lot, how the atmosphere changes. You guys notice that? And it's a strange thing to admit that oftentimes Jesus is not the focus of much of church. He's not even the focus of much of worship or what is called worship. Um, but it's often the case. And I, I felt like when I was preparing for this, um, this verse hit me in Isaiah 41, 17. It says, about a group of people, it says, the poor and needy are seeking water, but there is none. Their tongue is parched with thirst. And there is a thirst for Jesus in these days. And there is something of water that is flowing here. And I just want to encourage you, keep it flowing. Keep it flowing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And I'm not just talking to the staff. I know Michael and Jess, they're going to do that till the day that they die. I have every confidence that they will. I'm not talking about the staff or the ones wearing the cool Jesus image uh, apparel. I'm talking about you as a community, as, as a church of the living God. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, you've One thing I've learned, guys, is that any culture of worship, any culture where God is beginning to do something powerful, it's not sustained by the stage. It's not sustained by, by you know, we can, I, I love anointed people and leading, but it's not sustained by that. We have a very limited capacity uh, without a group of people who will unite their hearts and, and move with us. And so it's about your dinner conversations. It's about your hangouts, like you keeping the main thing, the main thing, you keeping that testimony of Jesus flowing in your homes and in your hangouts. It's a, it's a big deal. It's water, and the world is thirsty. There's a thirst for water. Hmm. You know, never, ever lose sight of what the favor is for. You know, I've seen this over and over. It's kind of strange. I'm not that old, but I feel like I've seen significant movements um, come onto the earth, and it's always remarkable, but just never lose sight of what the favor is for. And favor a lot of times manifests when a lot of people start paying attention to what you're doing. But never, ever lose sight. Never make it about the attention. It really, really doesn't matter. It's not about you, really. It's not about your brand. It's not about your thing. It's, it's not about any of those things. It's about Jesus. And it's, um, it's that his church may know him and experience him. That's really what the cry is. It's for the health and the beautification of his whole bride and his whole body. And there's great favor flowing here. 
guys, and most of you guys are aware of that. Some of you guys are here because of that. But if we won't confuse or abuse that favor and what it's for, then we will continue to bear much fruit. And God desires that you guys be a church that continues to bear much fruit because it glorifies the Father in heaven. So keep pressing in. Um, I feel like you're going to be a watering hole for this city, but not just for this city, for this nation, and also for the nations of the earth as you, the Lord is already raising you up to be. So, um, hey, I'm going to redirect just a little bit. I'm going to frame uh, a bit of what I want to want to get into tonight. Um, if some of this comes out a bit raw or uh, less polished, I don't get to do this a ton, um, and I don't really care. I learned a lot of, a long time ago. <laughs> hey. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I learned a long time ago uh, that performance anxiety is just of the flesh. And you just have to remind yourself that you're dead. You died. And uh, it's Christ and the one who lives in you. Um, and uh, so every time I think I speak, it's a bit of a death for me. But it's a death I willingly die that he would truly be glorified. And um, and my goal is not to blow anybody's mind tonight. I'm not up here to be super revelatory and all that kind of a thing. I want to be helpful tonight. I want to help people who want to walk faithfully with Jesus. And I just want to share some simple truths and scriptures that I think will aid us in that. Um, and I want to share about something that's a little bit unusual for me. And I want to talk about the discipline of the Lord. Um, and uh, I was thinking just about how qualified I was to talk about this. I'm very, very qualified. I'm an expert in the discipline of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> there have been a number of trusted prophets, guys, that we, we have known and, and we've been listening into probably at the start of 2020, like everybody else. When the world gets shaken like that, you all start Googling what's going on in the earth and you start searching on YouTube to see who might have the answers to why we're having a pandemic and so on and so forth. A lot of you guys did that. And man, it was such a swirl. But I remember in there, during that time, <laughs> we're all like, what's happening? Reading our Bibles, uh, searching YouTube. Um, I remember stumbling upon... <laughs> so many uh, different prophets and obviously, you know, it was all over the, the spectrum, but there was a couple that I was like, oh, they're really hearing from the Lord. And um, they, they were addressing in very specific terms, the very challenging times that we're in. And, and, uh, and I don't mean this to create any kind of fear or anxiety at all, because that really has no place in a believer's life, but times may actually get even more challenging. And, uh, and there's something, um, it's a time, I, I, again, lean into Jesus, rejoice in Jesus. Uh, again, I say rejoice, but there's also like a measure of sobriety that is important uh, in, in, our, in our day and time and a careful weighing of our lives and choices. And uh, this verse popped out at me. It's Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. I'm going to read it in the Amplified as I'm going to read probably almost everything that I read tonight is the Amplified. The Amplified is, um, it's an interesting thing. It just has a lot of extra things inside the verses, but some of it I really love. Some of it I've literally crossed out and been like, no, but uh, some of it, a lot of it, uh, <laughs> I, I've appreciated. So um, it says this, therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, and courage shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people, making the very most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. And again, I have no desire to contribute to any kind of anxiety. It's not my heart. You guys know that. I just feel an urgency over my own life. I feel an urgency over the broader body of Christ that we grow up into a mature representation of Jesus. And I have this secret hope, guys. I have this secret hope that our online behavior is not indicative of our maturity level in Jesus. I'm secretly hoping that maybe just no mature people are on social media. Maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. Uh, you know, maybe we all need to grow up and get off social media. And uh, I don't know. I, that's, a, that's, that's a joke. But um, when I read scripture, guys, 
And I see destiny and I see maturity. I see almost these things as almost interchangeable, almost being one and the same thing. Sometimes when we say destiny, scripture is talking about maturity. And we use destiny a lot more these days, probably because it has a lot more sizzle to it. You know, I was thinking like, if you're gonna host a conference and, um, and you named a conference, a workshop, destiny, and you named a, uh, a workshop, maturity. We can all kind of guess like who would actually uh, be showing up and how well attended it would be. But um, if you care about destiny, then you care about maturity. I don't know any believer that doesn't care about realizing their full destiny in God, the one that he's written over their life. I don't know any leaders of churches or movements who are interested in helping those same things reach their full potential and accomplish all that God has called them to accomplish. And it's right that we care about these things, guys. It's right that we have regard for the destiny of God um, over our lives. So before I get into discipline, which is really what I want to talk about tonight, I want to talk about destiny. I want to frame destiny in a biblical way because I really think it's at the heart of the matter. And I think sometimes... Um, we have a shallow, almost worldly definition of what destiny is. As if it's like merely about becoming like a, an entrepreneur or an artist or a homemaker or a pastor or a pop star for Jesus, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm not knocking any of those kinds of things. Hear me. Um, those indeed may be some of the good works that you guys are actually called to do that you have also been predestined to do. But none of those things for me are your true destiny. Your true destiny is much higher. It's much more glorious. It's much more eternal than that. And I just want to read a couple of scriptures and remind us. Um, it says, this is also Ephesians 4. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a massive statement. We, this is where we're headed. Paul is basically laying it out. Here, here's the roadmap. This is what's happening. Here are the, the, the graces that are at work in the body of Christ. And here's what they're leading us into. Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Romans 8, 29 through 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. But you are a chosen race, 1 Peter 2, 9, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies and the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Destiny. Destiny, guys, is not first and foremost about a thing that you do. It's not about an occupation or a kind of an achievement that you get in life. Destiny, the destiny that God has written over your life is first and foremost about a person that he has determined you to become. He has determined you to become like his son, like Jesus Christ. That is your destiny. That is the highest achievement anyone can possibly attain in this life. Period. To be a truly authentic, living, breathing witness of Jesus is the highest destiny any of us can ever attempt to accomplish. To be a pure representation of his nature and his redeeming love and power. <laughs> I was just thinking, if we become like Jesus over the course of our lives, we will have fulfilled our destiny. But even if you become the next Elon Musk, and you don't become like Jesus. You can become the most famous worship leader in the earth. And if you fail to be conformed into the image of Jesus, you can become a rock star of rock stars. You can have the nations talking about you for the next hundred years. But if you fail to conform to the image of Jesus, you have missed your destiny entirely. It won't matter. <laughs> And sometimes I just think we need to tear down these little humanistic strongholds that, that we kind of create around this idea um, that kind of war against this concept of growing up into the image of Jesus. And we say things like, oh, well, I'm not Jesus or, you know, something like that. Or, I, you know, I'm, I'm just a human. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not Jesus. And, and, you know, when people say that, I'm always, when Christians say that, I'm always a little puzzled by that. Even though I understand it completely, I'm like, you're right. Right now, in this moment, you are not like Jesus. <laughs> 
Uh, but that, but don't you know your own destiny? Don't you know the thing that God is bringing you towards, don't, leading you towards? Don't you know the good work that he began in you that he is going to be faithfully bringing about to completion? If you find yourself saying things like that, just be like, stop, stop, stop saying stuff like that and start saying and say, God, grow me up into the full measure into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, that's what we need to be saying. Not giving ourselves little caps and excuses about why we're not stepping into the fullness of our destiny. There's more for us, and we need to have a different language around that. Paul actually rebukes the Corinthian church. He says, when you act like this, you're acting like mere humans. That's fascinating. He's rebuking people for being mere humans. which means we're not meant to be just mere humans. Jesus was no mere human. Also, before I really get into that, I just, I just, I don't know, I'm bringing out all my pet peeves right now, so forgive me here, but we're also not destined to remain spiritual infants. I realize the scripture says that unless we become like children, we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I completely agree. And there is something childlike that we need to remember and retain. The, the innocence and the wonder and all those kinds of things. I'm, I'm all about that. But what I, just, I, what, what, I, what I sometimes hear is like, we just need to live in this perpetual kind of childhood. And I don't think that that's actually the case. I think God has destined us to grow up. I don't think that God's looking for us to be spiritual infants or toddlers or adolescents or even young adults for the rest of our life. He's wanting us to grow up and mature into, what's the word say? The stature of the fullness of Christ, which is a massive stature. And I, again, I, I want people to have a childhood in God. If you, if you some, some of us have like skipped stages, you know? It's like you've been that kid that was like, you only allowed a kid to be a kid for so long and you jumped straight into trying to be an adult. And there's something about rediscovering the heart of God through the lens of a child. But remember that God is on a mission to grow you into the image of his son. And there are many different ways that God accomplishes this, guys. But as I've read scripture over and over, there are two that stand out to me, especially when I study the writings of the apostolic fathers. And these two things are, number one, they encourage. Number two, they exhort. Exhortation, which is another word for discipline, correction. They encourage and they exhort. And if you've ever, you know, if, if, if you guys have had a reasonably healthy childhood, you will immediately begin to recognize that these two things were at work and operating in your life. You had someone who encouraged you and you had someone who disciplined you, right? Not any of you came from healthy homes. Uh, <laughs> we had parents who did, did they not encourage us? Yes, they did. Did they not discipline us? How many of you just love being disciplined? Just loved it. One person, she, what a dream. What a dream for your parents. Like, that's amazing. Um, and this is still true today, guys. We love the school of encouragement. We eat it up. We're like, Lord, send me to that school over and over and over again. Never want to check out of that one. Um, we struggle with the school of discipline. And unfortunately, I feel like these two things get divided in the church. They get almost like spread into two camps. And you have camps for, for whatever reason, every time they preach, their, their sermon is leaning towards exhortation or some kind of spanking, you know? You guys, uh, maybe you've never experienced this kind of church, but I, I have. It's almost like we feel like it's more sp spiritual to be just spanked all the time, you know? And, <laughs> and then you have the encouragement camp. You have, you have the group of people who, who literally, it's just positive and encouraging all day long, you know? It's just, there's never any rebuke. It's just, you know, we're always leaning up. You can almost guarantee that whoever's gonna preach, they're gonna preach a positive and encouraging message and so on and so forth. And what I hate about that is really what it creates is, is a disillusion because these two things, flow together in God. God, his parental wisdom, guys, the wisdom with which he governs and rules and raises us up into the image of his son is both exhortation, encouragement, and discipline. It is both and. They're never meant to be mutually exclusive. They flow together. So if you have a Bible, open up to Hebrews 12. You have a very famous part of this 
chapter, and then maybe a less famous part about this chapter. Um, and I'm just going to move through it, guys. Um, just bear with me. I don't know that I'll get to every point that I have, but I want to get to some of them. Therefore, Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the first incentive of our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority and his completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. A Father's Discipline is the title of the next section. It says, you have not yet struggled to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement, which is addressed to you as sons and daughters. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves. And he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. You must submit to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate children and not sons at all. Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we submitted and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the father of spirits and live by learning from his discipline? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So then, strengthen hands that are weak and knees that tremble. Cut through and make smooth, straight paths for your feet that are safe and go in the right direction, so that the leg, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather may be healed. Continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see God. See to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And see to it that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later on, when he wanted to regain title, to his inheritance of blessing, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for repentance, even though he sought it with bitter tears. You guys okay? Honestly, I'm, I'm going to belabor some of these points, but it's so clear, you know. Um, but I'm just going to move through this because I, I, I'm doing this in obedience to the Lord. Um, not because I, I love to talk about these kinds of topics, you know, you get me talking about the glory of God and get me talking about, I mean, I, this is where I, I live, but I'm doing this out of obedience and I'm doing it because I, this has saved my life. Learning how to respond to discipline has saved my life. It's preserved my life. And I, 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 I'm not going to say I'm going to nail this message necessarily tonight, but I am going to say for those of you who can hear it, it will also save your life. It will preserve your life. Point number one, you have not resisted sin to the point of shedding your own blood. 
That is a powerful statement. I don't know if you guys are visual. I don't know if you use your imaginations when it comes to reading scripture. <laughs> but can you imagine someone that resists sin to the point of actually shedding their own blood? That's a super intense thing. I don't even know, I don't want to visually demonstrate that because it could get a little weird, but that is a gnarly statement. You have not yet resisted, which means the expectation is that you would, that you would resist sin to the point of shedding your own blood. And I think sometimes we need to be asking ourselves when we read statements like this in the Bible, because the Bible is the word of God. And I'll tell you this about the Bible is that when God says something, he means what he says. He's not like the parent that kind of, we all do this where we pad, you know, an extra 20, 30, you know, 30% our intensity, you know, just to get our kids to do the thing that we're asking them to do. But really we only mean it. We deliver it at a 90, but we're really at a 60. That's not how God actually does that. He has no deceit in his mouth. He does, he does not exaggerate. He simply speaks and declares the truth. And one of the things we're going to have to do in this day and age is we have to take the word at his word. It is his word and we need to take it at. So when the Bible says you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood, we need to be asking ourselves, do I have the right intensity towards my sin? Do I have the right intensity towards my sin? And I, I think when I look at this verse, it's pretty safe to say it's, it's actually going to be hard to be too extreme in your resisting sin. And can I just say, guys, when I look around the church today, I do not see that kind of intensity towards sin. In many ways, I see a softness towards sin. And I just want to say that we cannot afford to be soft towards sin. I'm not saying this is a posture we need to be mean to sinners or anything like that. Please, let's not repeat the pendulum swing that happens over and over in the body of Christ. We love people. We love them with the love of Jesus. But that does not mean that we are soft towards sin, particularly in our own lives. That is just, we, we don't do it. It says, don't even let a hint of sexual immorality be named among you. That's a crazy statement. And the reason why it says, don't let a hint of sexual immorality be named among you is because a hint never stays a hint. You guys ever, ever noticed that with sin? Sin is not, it, it doesn't play by the rule book. If there is such a rule book, it's not like, hey, I'll just give you this much of my life and you stay put. That's not how sin ever operates. It's like an evil, um, sinister dictator that if you give whatever you give it, it is determined to rule over you. And there must be something in us that goes, you will not rule over me. And I, I, I will not allow, I'm not, I'm not gonna placate you. I'm not gonna give you any quarter, no quarter, no pity, no mercy. I'm gonna deal with that sin. I'm gonna go after it. I'm not just speaking to individuals, guys. I'm speaking to our church cultures that we create. We need to be sure that the grace cultures that we have in our churches actually represent the true grace, the true grace of God, which does what? It teaches people to say no to ungodliness. That's what real grace does. It teaches you to say no to ungodliness and to live lives of purity, not tolerance. To summarize the text, I would just say thoroughly understand that sin destroys destiny and take necessary and even radical action against it. And I could go after that. I might expand on that just a little bit later. Point number two, guys, do not forget the divine word of encouragement. Now, I don't know when's the last time you guys felt like a word about discipline was a word of divine encouragement, but that's a fascinating thing. Why would a word about discipline be a word about divine encouragement? Because of what it reveals. What does it reveal? It reveals when you're getting disciplined, guys, that God is treating you as one of his own. That's what it means. And we have to reframe how we perceive and how we respond to discipline. Discipline does not mean I'm being rejected. That's how it feels, but that's not actually what it means. It doesn't mean you're being rejected. Discipline means you're being accepted. <laughs> I know it's a sad and painful thing. Scripture talks about it. It's a bummer. I don't like discipline. I hated being disciplined as a kid. But discipline is actually a cause for rejoicing. And next time you're in that real sad, painful moment, be like, oh, I'm being treated as a son. I'm being treated as a son of the living God. You know, and, you know if we'd kind of rewritten No Longer Slaves a little bit, and, and uh, for one, it probably wouldn't have been a hit if we did this. But, you know, can you imagine if he's like, I am a child. Because I've been spanked. I am a child of God. I 
shove his hand, you know, like that would not, and not be a hit. As the only time you need to be sincerely concerned is if God is indifferent to you. No true parent is indifferent to the behavior of their child. It says here, this is terrifies me. Now, if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons at all. Discipline, however painful, however hard it is, is caused to rejoice. It's caused like, ah, God accepts me. Point number three, my son and daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And I just want to take a moment. I want to speak to posture because this is where so many of us get hung up. Have you ever asked yourself, how do you handle being disciplined? What are your go-to reactions? Is it to lash out? Is it to defend yourself to the death? Uh, do you wilt and dissolve into a mess of tears? Uh, are you one of those eternal optimists that is so positive that you just can't even really take your sin all that seriously? You know, you're just like, ah, I don't know, it's not that big of a deal. Or are you someone that just kind of numbs out anything that feels too painful or too negative and you almost create like an immunity and a numbness? in yourself to the discipline of the Lord. I've seen all these kinds of reactions and none of them are particularly helpful. They're not fruitful. They're not productive in your life. And you know, if you want to know what kind of type I am, I'm the defend myself to the death. I will come at you. I, I will, I will I mean, never, ever have I ever responded well to discipline in the moment, save but one or two times in my entire life. Otherwise, I'm the guy that just doesn't, I don't, I, I it's painful. I do feel rejection. I feel all those kinds of things. Guys, I could go through all my spanking sessions, spanking uh, with leadership. They're not fun. I, I didn't enjoy any of them. <laughs> but we need to learn to posture ourselves to receive discipline because discipline is an ongoing lifelong aspect of sonship. We need to get used to it. <laughs> And uh, one of the ways that I think helps is if we're not so shocked by it. Like when you anticipate that you are going to be corrected, it just helps. It just helps. You're like, oh, right, I'm in that moment right now. Uh, and you know how to assume the position, you know? Instead of doing the trigger thing, you, you, you respond rightly. Uh, we need to begin to train our postures to be teachable, to be ready to be corrected, to receive it. And here's the greatest challenge in my experience with all discipline is that many, many times, if almost not exclusively, God disciplines through people. That is the hardest thing. Many of you be like, if God comes down directly and speaks to me and says, you are wrong. We're like, yes, Lord. You know, we have no problem receiving that. None whatsoever. But if a leader or a friend or a peer comes to us, and points out something in our lives. Oh, that's a very different challenge. Very, very different challenge to receive. And we're tempted to assassinate their character. We're, we're tempted to look at all their personal flaws and excuse ourselves from the word of truth that they're bringing. We're tempted to do all kinds of things that give us a way out. But we need to learn how to receive it to be humble. We need to remember that God is treating us as sons and he uses people. Guys, there have been times, yes, that the Holy Spirit has corrected me ongoing throughout the day, actually, um, all the time. But some of the most significant moments of discipline in my life have been through people and um, not perfect people. They were broken people and I had a choice and that was, that was deeply challenging. But, I, but it's like, if you will just humble yourself and allow the Lord be like, Lord, I think this is you. And, and, you know, I don't, again, I don't have time to go into details about how to discern whether the discipline is truly from the Lord. I'm certainly not saying get on your Facebook and look at every negative comment and be like, that's the Lord. No, I'm talking like uh, you need to, you need to, people who love you, people who've walked with you, people who are not trying to be mean to you or not offended at you. They're just going, hey, hey, this is off. This is off. 
And guys, we need to be careful that we don't create some kind of false spiritual, spiritual barometer when it comes to discerning if something is God or not. It's like I hear some language around this stuff and it's like, oh, if it doesn't feel good, it must not be God. And I'm like, no, that's, that's really not true. Or it's, oh, it's not life-giving. I'm not getting life out of this. I'm like, yeah, me neither. Bad vibes. Uh, <laughs> it's so important for us to know the Word of God. You will see that pain, suffering, discipline, correction, they're absolutely a part of the package. And they are things that God uses to mature us, and he, he mature us and he's disciplining us for our good. Just remember that. For, he wants you to share in who he is. He wants you to share in his holiness. Yet those who have been trained by it, point number four, I just love this word, who have been trained by it, which means there's some kind of training involved. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, I just think about words and I kind of unpack them. And the, the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about training is I was thinking about military training and what the purpose of military training is. Why you go through all that boot camp to discipline and condition your mind and your body and all those kinds of things. You do that because in a moment when you're under fire, if you haven't gone through training, what do you do? A lot of times you freak out and you paralyze and, and, and you stiffen and you don't respond well. Let's just put it that way. And what I'm, what I'm here to tell you guys is that discipline can feel a lot like a moment when you come under fire. And if there hasn't been some kind of training, like conditioning, you're like, oh, right, this is that moment. Training and conditioning helps you make the right choice, even when your body and everything else is in a total swirl, but you make the right choice. That's what conditioning. And when you are training yourself to be humble, when you're training yourself to be teachable, and there's situations all throughout the day when it comes to the big one, and there will be big moments of discipline in your life if you're trying to move forward in God. Guys, if there are no big moments of discipline in your life, I say, how much territory are you taking in God? You need to be like looking at that because if you're taking territory in God, you will be disciplined. And what you need to realize is you're like, thank you. It's a kindness to me. It's oil to my head. You're saving my life. I don't know how many times, guys, I've had such major blind spots in my life. I would not be here today if, I, if those people didn't deliver really excruciatingly painful words. And if I wasn't, and I didn't allow myself to be trained by them, I would not have survived. Your destiny is on the line. Your legacy is on the line when it comes to learning how to respond to discipline. But listen to the promise, guys. If you will be trained by discipline, you get a harvest of righteousness. Guys, part of that harvest is happening tonight. You get a harvest of righteousness. Anytime, have you guys ever been corrected by the Lord? <laughs> and you know, you share that, you help, how, I, I don't know how many people I have rescued from stupidity just and, and helped share, create a harvest of righteousness of just like, hey, hey, hold on, da, 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 da. It doesn't work out every time, but there is a harvest of righteousness for every one of those situations. The Lord will multiply the fruit of that in your life if you will learn to respond rightly. Point number five, guys, so then, Strengthen hands that are weak and knees that tremble. Cut through and make smooth, straight paths for your feet. Oh, guys, can I just speak practically to you? Um, if anyone is struggling with sin, habitual sin, patterns of sin, any kind of sin, this is just practical instruction for you right here. And what you need to realize is that every time you sin, you put something in, you know, in your spiritual life, you put it out of joint. Um, you lame yourself every time you fall into sin. And um, it's kind of just practical instruction and wisdom. When your knee is jacked up, what do you do? You put a brace on it and you don't go on an adventurous hike. It's very, very simple. And we wanna make it more complicated than this. But when your knee is lame, you shore it up, you protect it for a season and you make a level path. You don't do this, you do this right here. You avoid this like the plague uh, you do, because you know that if you stumble on that, it sets you back. However, have anyone been seriously injured here? You know how this goes. Uh, when you push it and you're like, oh shoot, what I did is I just set myself back two weeks in the healing process. That 
is, has, and you, so you make, you protect it for a season. What I just want to say, guys, is a lot of you guys, you keep stumbling in sin because for one, you're not getting radical enough with the solution. You're not doing practically enough. And I, I just tell you, like, this is very practical. There are people that you hang out with that cause you to stumble. There's online behavior that's causing you to stumble. It's not rocket science. And for a season, when your body is lame or, or, or your, your, your leg is out of joint or whatever, every single time you get around that rocky condition, that challenging condition, you will lame yourself again. And there needs to be a season where you go, nope, I'm going to move away from this for a season. I'm going to shore up my life in God. I'm going to strengthen this so that it heals. Because when it heals, guys... I don't know how practical to be here. When it heals, things that cause you to stumble, you'll have ability to resist them. They won't put your leg out of joint anymore. It's almost like a spiritual immune system. When your immune system is weakened and crippled, you get around anyone within 100 feet who's got a cough and you're done. You know, you're done. But when your immune system is strong, what? You can be around a whole plane full of people and come out. My wife, this is amazing. I, anyone have the grace of a mother here when it comes to their kids? Like, I don't know why our five kids can be like in the worst condition and my wife stays standing. I do not know how that works. That's a particular grace for her immune system. But you can have, if you have a healthy immune system, you can survive a lot of things. But if you do not, you need to shore up your immune system, which means you need to not expose yourself to a lot of things. Cut smooth paths for your feet so that what's lame in you can be healed. You apply this, guys. You apply it. Like, apply it. Michael said something this morning is really important. He said, learning to... Basically, he's like the Holy Spirit. And it's really true. But in this journey, we're learning to stay in step with the Spirit. That's really what this is all about. And initially, when you're getting rewired in this, when you make smooth paths for your feet, when you come away and you learn how to commune with the Holy Spirit, then it's like then you can learn how to stay in step with him, which means that you immediately know when you're out of sync. It's like the second you like say something, you're like, oh, I'm out of sync with him. It's like you develop that level of sensitivity with the Holy Spirit. All right. Last point before I close. See to it that no one falls short of God's grace. See to it that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. And I... I just want to address those of you who are spiritually mature right now. Um, <laughs> which isn't, doesn't mean that you're older. Maturity doesn't necessarily equal age. Um, but we need to be bold. We need to be bold in our dealing with sinful behavior in the body of Christ. Not like bold as in like condemning but bold as in addressing, not being afraid to address sin in the body of Christ. When you understand what, what it's threatening in people, when you really understand that it's threatening people's inheritance, like the whole package, not small things. Like guys, if you fall short of the grace of God, what do you think that means? Well, what's the opposite of grace? Nothing good. Judgment, condemnation. Like you want, you, no one wants to fall short of the grace of God. And uh, the writer, we don't know if it's Paul or not, but the writer here is saying, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And I think he's specifically talking to mature believers in this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no one is immoral like Esau. And I feel like we have done ourselves no small favor here. We haven't, uh, that's not what I mean. We haven't done ourselves a favor at all. I think we've, we've in many ways silenced the mouth of correction in the body of Christ. We've silenced the mouth of discipline and we need to get bold again. We need to dare to discipline in love. We need to dare to actually speak the truth to one another. We have created cultures of encouragement. We've created cultures of acceptance and cultures of grace, but not necessarily cultures of discipline. And, and guys, we need the discipline of the Lord. We need it. We need it to live and to thrive and to become all that God means us to be. If you only have one without the other, guys, it's either going to stunt your growth or it's going to spoil your growth. And we see that in natural parenting all the time. It's either like stunting. They only got 
verbal abuse or they only got exhortation, they only got discipline and something got stunted. And then there's the people that just only got encouragement and there's something got really spoiled. And we need both to grow up. I'll close here. You guys, you did phenomenally. <laughs> well done. For those of you who made it, you survived. I'll just talk personally for a moment. If I were to personally share one of the hardest aspects of discipline to receive, it's this, is that God's discipline reveals our true spiritual condition, where we actually stand before him. And um, guys, I've never had this happen where it didn't shock me a little bit. But some experiences have been gentler than others. And I hope that's many of your guys' experiences. But some of these other moments, I've almost felt like someone dunked me in a cold river and took my breath away. Um, and I saw situations, I saw choices that I had made, I saw behaviors and attitudes, things that hadn't really even bothered me in previous seasons until I saw them the way that God saw them. And he allowed me to see them the way that he saw them. And this was incredibly painful, but it was a mercy. It was his mercy. It is a mercy, guys, when God reveals where you actually stand before him prior to the moment when you actually stand before him. It is a mercy and a kindness when the Lord reveals to you where you actually are at in him. Mike Bickle used to pray this prayer. He says, shock me now, Lord. Don't shock me later. Shock me now. Don't shock me later. Revelations 3, Revelation 3, 14 through 19. My wife always corrects me because I say revelations and she's like, it's revelation. <laughs> Touche. Revelation to the angel, the divine messenger of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the amen, the trusted and faithful and true witness, the beginning and origin of God's creation. I know your deeds and we know all of this. I'm going to read just a little bit of it. We know about the hot, neither hot nor cold. He's about to vomit us out of his mouth. He says, because you say, I am rich and I've prospered and grown wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated, red hot and refined by fire so that you may become truly rich. White clothes to clothe yourself so that shame of your nakedness will not be seen. And healing salve to put on your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I rebuke and discipline, showing them their faults and instructing them. So be enthusiastic and repent. This is Jesus. It's painful, guys, when God shows us what's really going on because we were thinking we were one way before him. We were happy. We were like, we're good. We're rich. We're, we're, we're prosperous. We're doing awesome. And the Lord shows up and said, with a mirror and is like, actually, you're wretched. Actually, you're miserable. Actually, you're poor. Actually, you're blind and naked. That is a rude awakening. It's going to be hard to digest sometimes. And many times, guys, in that fragile moment, we find a way to reject it. And what I want to tell you tonight is don't reject it. Stay with it. Don't try and rush out of a place of pain into some immediate comfort. Guys, it's a part of the healing. It's a part of the healing. Here's the deal. If you are not aware of how truly sick you are, will you ever, ever subject yourself to what healing actually requires? No, you don't. Like if you think you've got a cold when you have cancer, you're not going to get the right treatment, are you? No, you're not. You have to understand your condition before the Lord in order to get the thing that you need. And he's saying, you think yourself this way and therefore you're never going to ask me for gold. And I have gold. 
You're never gonna ask me for white clothes for your condition. You're never gonna ask me for salve for your eyes so that you can actually see. He's like, if you would understand, if you would allow me to hold that mirror up in front of you, you will see where you actually stand before me and then you will be enthusiastic and repent. You will, you will make the right choice. You will pursue the things that actually lead to healing. There is healing available. But we need to allow him to help us see the way he sees. I didn't know where this was going to end, so here I am. Be earnest. So be earnest. Don't take... I'm just going to strengthen myself in the Lord right here. Don't take the discipline of the Lord lightly. Don't take it lightly. If you are in a season of correction, guys, embrace it. Embrace it. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. And I say it, um, I say it remembering how many times the Lord corrected me and I took it lightly. I did not take it to heart. I, I, was, I was that seed that was sown and it sprung up with joy for a moment and two weeks later, gone, like no root. I, I, that means you took it lightly. And I just want to say, don't take the discipline of the Lord lightly. Take it to heart. Respond. Know in your heart of hearts that it's his love. It's his love. When he disciplines you guys, he's saying, I love you. He's saying, I love you. When he disciplines, he's saying, I burn for you. I have a burning, zealous love for your life. And he's not indifferent towards your behavior, guys. He's not indifferent towards your sin. He's not indifferent to the way you use your words. He's not indifferent to your attitudes and treatments of others. He's not indifferent to you. He cares about you and he loves you and therefore he disciplines you. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life, everywhere.